Well, good morning. I tell you, I woke up this morning, I thought, you know, I'm going to dress like this. And then I see those Eddington boys in their suit coats, looking all sharp and dapper. And I'm kind of embarrassed to be up here right now. But I'm here. So (laughs) it's great to see everybody this morning. Uh, Six degrees of separation. I think I've talked about it before, but uh, it's this theory or this concept that you are always six people away from knowing everybody in the world. I think they actually call it like six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. And so, for example, um, I pretty much know Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, He's the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, Big Ben, as I like to call him because we're that tight. But uh, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, his cousin and I play ping pong together. We're pretty much connected. And so I've actually told his cousin, hey, because he'll go to uh, Pittsburgh and play ping pong with Ben. And I'll ask Taylor, my friend, have you told Ben about me? Like, pretty much when Ben comes back, he's going to be ready to play the grand master of ping pong in my basement. And what I mean is, like, I'm the grand master of my basement at ping pong. Anywhere else, I'm not that great, probably. But we have that connection. I mean, they, they say you are always six degrees. So I know Taylor, who's cousins with Ben. And Ben, I mean, the world opens up from there. Because Ben has rubbed shoulders with dignitaries and celebrities and all the like. So now suddenly, I pretty much know everybody. Have you ever had an encounter like that? Maybe you're like, actually, I do know somebody, Andy. Not through a separation, but I actually know somebody. John MacArthur, he recalls a time where he was preaching, and so he he said he was going to work from home that day, and this is in the day where there's landlines, there's not cell phones, and so he was going to work from home that day, and he told his wife, I'm working from home, don't bother me during this time period. If somebody calls, just answer it, and then say, he's busy, he'll call you back. And so John is working in his office, and he hears the phone ring, and his wife picks up the phone and answers it, and she says, I'm sorry, he's busy right now can he call you back? And John's like, all right, I can get to work. And then a couple minutes later, his wife comes up. She's got mail in her hand. She's thumbing through it. And she's like, do you know a Dick Vermeil? Who, if you don't know who Dick Vermeil is, he is the uh, Super Bowl winning coach for the St. Louis Rams. And this is like when Dick Vermeil is the Super Bowl winning coach. And so John MacArthur is like, he called? And his wife is like, yeah, he, he read your book. He was wondering if you guys could hang out sometime. And John was like, eh, I'll get a hold of him later. Not really. John was like, yeah, like, let me call him up. John calls up uh, Dick Vermeil, and he's like, hey, you know, my wife said you called. And Dick was like, yeah, I read your book, wondered, can we hang out? And John's like, come over. Like, right now, I'll clear my schedule for you completely. Like, you are a big timer. Like, let's meet. And honestly, there's people who, like, yeah, we will clear our schedule for them. I mean, if somebody were to call you and you might have that person, it's pretty much the question, if you could have dinner with anybody in history, who would you have dinner with? And it's like, this person, if they would call me today, I would say, I'll be there in five minutes. I don't care if you're 100 miles away, I will break the speed limit to get there. And we have those people like that because we want to be with them. And more importantly, what is so crazy, they want to be with us. I mean, No offense, we live in southeast Kansas. We live in flyover country. Like, there's not a lot of big timers in this area where we consider ourselves humble, just 
gentle, uh, you know, peaceful area. Like, I'm so grateful to live here. But if somebody with maybe a couple million dollars that could buy me a Polaris razor or, you know, whatever I want, calls me, I'm going to meet them. But have we ever had the opposite of that encounter as well? Where there's somebody that you want to be with so bad and they don't want to be with you. I heard or I read this quote this week and it was uh, by this pastor and he said, the hardest pill to swallow is realizing I meant nothing to people who meant a lot to me. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Where you want to be with this person and you're like, man, I just wish that they cared about me the way that I care about them. I wish they wanted to be with me. Now the problem is, is that what we have in this world is a little thing called sin. And it's not even a little thing. And what sin will do is sin puts a gap between us and God. To where when we commit a sin, suddenly that's our viewpoint of God. Where it's like, oh man, God, you want to be with me? And then we commit that sin, and it's like, God, I don't, like, I can't be in your presence. Like, God, I'm going to have to, like, work my way back to earning your good grace. God, you probably don't want to be with me. And so what we do is we allow sin to come between our relationship with God. We allow sin to even keep us from coming into God's house because we're like, if I entered into there right now, people would be like, why are they here? So I got to put on this fake persona of, hey, everything's great because that's what people expect. Because even God expects me to be perfect. And the minute I fail, God has no more time with me. I mean, that is what goes through my mind a lot of times, especially whenever God's like, don't do it. And I'm like, I'm going to do it anyways, God. And he's like, don't do it. And then you do it. And it's like, well, now I can't go to God because I'm unclean. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Not only am I a sinner, I defiantly rejected what God has to say. He is so unhappy with me. He doesn't want to be in my presence, which is the farthest from the truth. And we're going to see that in our passage today in Matthew chapter 9, where this woman has an encounter with Jesus and she realizes that his desire was to be with her. And his desire was to heal her, even though she thought there's no way. I'm going to stay in the secret. I'm going to not let anybody know about it. I just, I just need a little bit of healing. And so we're in Matthew chapter 9, and what, what the setup here is, is Jesus has got this great crowd starting to follow him, and then this ruler of the synagogue, an important person, comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. If only you would come and lay your hands on her, she would be able to be healed. And so Jesus says, fine, I'll go. Let, let's go to your house and see your daughter. And so on the way, this great crowd is following Jesus. They're pressing up on him. And we have this encounter starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 9. If you'll stand as we read God's word and open in prayer. And it says, while he being Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made healed. 
be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and sorry, we'll stop there. Uh, But she was instantly made well. If you'll join me as we pray. Father God, we just thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for just desiring to be with us. God, you have made this possible where we can come into your presence here and now, regardless of what we've done this week. That God, when we come with a broken spirit, when we come humbly and we come with a repentant heart, God, you are there waiting for us. And as we're about to see that in your word, God, let your message ring loud to us so that you may be glorified in this time and we may be changed. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so first off, to understand the magnitude of the situation, you have to understand really the woman's situation. And we are told there in Matthew that for 12 years, she has had this discharge of blood from her. This is a uh, feminine issue that she is not wanting to share with anybody. It's a personal thing. It's one that for 12 years, she has been considered unclean. Leviticus chapter 15 talks about this. It says that for 12 years, she would need to be isolated. It says if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Now look, look at this. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean. As in the clean, uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. And shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. So here she is for 12 years laying in this bed that is now unclean. So if she's married for 12 years, her husband either has to decide, I'm unclean as well, and so I can't, I can't go worship God, or I can't share a bed with her because I'll be unclean. And so she, her husband even has to distance himself from her if she's married. She has to distance herself from everybody else. I mean, it's like when you find out somebody has something, we talked about it with leprosy last week, and it's a contagious thing. You want to get away from them. I mean, just go into Walmart and start coughing right now. And notice how quick those aisles are going to clear. Like, does he have COVID? I don't know. We're not going to risk it. People clear out. This was where they would clear out. So for 12 years, she's had nobody coming near her. And we see this account being recorded in Luke and Mark as well. And Mark tells us even, she's done everything possible. She has spent spent her life savings on this. In verse 25 of Mark 5, it says, There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She suffered much under many physicians, spent all she had, and she was not even better for it. So not only is she now literally broke with no money, she is getting worse the more she goes and sees these doctors. 
The more she's running to something to find healing, the worse she gets. And I mean, again, we can make that relation so much today that it's like the more I run to these things to find healing, the worse I get. The more I run to alcohol to forget the regrets of my past, the more those regrets weigh on you the next day. The more you run to sleeping around because you just need some kind of release, the more you wake up and realize it's all for nothing. The more you run to anything that's not Jesus, the worse off you're going to be. And people spend money trying to find healing. People will blow life savings on drugs and alcohol and women's and career and whatever it is, and they come up worse for it. People will blow their family life seeking the almighty dollar because they think if I have more money, I'll be happier. And then they get more money and it's like, I'm not even happier because I need more money because the more money I make, the more money I spend and the more money I spend, the less money I have. And so they pursue this. And as this woman experienced, she got worse for it. Every time we chase after something that's not Jesus, we never find healing. We turn out the worse for it. It might be a temporary ibuprofen on the problem where it's like, hey, I got healing. And then it comes back in full vengeance. And so this woman's condition, it was an embarrassing one even. She didn't want people to know about it. She did not want for people to know what she had been going through. And that's why she came to Jesus in secret. Because for one, she's already a lawbreaker. She is in the presence. We're told that this crowd is pressing on Jesus. And so for her to come and touch Jesus, she is touching every person to get by them. Therefore making them unclean. So she's a lawbreaker. If they would have found out what she did, it's like, man, who knows what would have happened to her. And she's saying, I have tried everything. If only I can touch the hem of his robe, then I will be made clean. I'm desperate, so I'm going to try this last resort. And she goes in there, and she does it. She, She breaks the law. She's desperate. She's tried everything, so she tries to touch the hem of his robe. And now celebrity Jesus, he's on his way to heal this high up person. This ruler in a synagogue, Jairus' daughter, he's on his way. He's got great crowds following him, and she touches him. Now imagine if you were like that, and you would go up and touch some of these quote-unquote celebrities today, and you were like filthy, dirty, unclean. They would be like, don't touch me. Like, I'm going to have to germex. Howie Mandel doesn't touch anybody because he's so scared of germs. And that's what they would be like. They would be like, "Mm." I mean, we're told this in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where even the, the Levites and the priests, they see the Samaritan on the side of the road, beaten and wounded, and they cross over on the other side. That's how a lot of people are, where it's like, don't even come near me. That's how we feel a lot of people are going to be when we open up to them. I can't because then they'll leave me. And so if people are going to do that to me, Jesus might as well do it to me too. And so here Jesus is walking. He's got this crowd following him and he's getting ready to meet Jairus' daughter. And then this woman touches him and he turns around, looks at her and says, how dare you touch me? But that's not who Jesus is. No, Jesus does something far greater than that. Jesus is busy. 
I mean, it, it, you would think that Jesus is so busy focusing on the elites that he has no time for the peasants. But Jesus is not too busy. Instead, as Jesus is walking, she touches the hem of his robe and he turns around. He's walking on mission, feels his robe, the power going out of him, and he stops and he turns and he realizes that healing has come out of him. Now imagine if you're this woman, what are you thinking? Oh no, he just stopped. Like, what? Where is going to be the stone? Where is going to be the tongue lashing? Where is going to be the condemnation? Because I just made this holy man unholy by touching him. But instead, Mark chapter 9, verse 22 tells us no. Jesus turns. Mark, I said Mark, Matthew 9, 22. Mark 5, 30 tells us that Jesus turned about. He stops where he's going, turns, and then he doesn't only turn, he starts looking for the woman. And so he says, I feel that somebody touched me. And Peter, I mean like the common sense guy, is like, "Uh, Jesus, there are hundreds of people pressing up on you. Of course somebody touched you. How would you know that somebody touched you? And Jesus says, no, no, I can tell someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the woman, she, she's like, oh no, he knows. So I imagine her, like, just as it plays out in my mind, like she touches, Jesus stops, turns around, and she's like looking around like, I gotta get out, there's people here, people there, I can't go anywhere. And so she's just like, oh no, this is not good. And Jesus, we're told, starts looking for the woman. Mark 5, 32, it says, he looked around to see who had done it. I hope you're seeing such the beauty in those words. Jesus turns around. He's on a mission for somebody important, but yet he says, hold up, that can wait because I care about you. So I'm going to stop and turn around. And then it says he searches for her. He is looking because he wants to make a point of healing her. He is desiring to have an encounter with her. Her, who has for 12 years been considered unclean, unworthy, unloved. And he says, no, I'm going to bring healing for, to you. Because to the world, this woman was unclean, helpless, not even worth anybody's time. But to Jesus... This woman was so much more. In Matthew chapter 9, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus says to the woman, take heart, daughter. The only time in scripture where Jesus calls a woman daughter, he is now saying, who you are is my daughter. And what he is even saying in that is, I'm one with God. Welcome to the family of God. You're not a nobody, you're my daughter. You're not a nobody. You're my child. When you realize your identity in Christ, you realize your importance in this life because you are a child of God. So don't ever think, "Mm, God's too busy for me because what he'll do is he'll stop, turn around, look you dead in the eyes and say, you're my child. I love you. I want to be with you. I gave everything on that cross so that we can be in relationship. Don't ever say that I'm just nothing. 
that you're nothing because you are a child of God. He is welcoming her and he is wanting to welcome you into his family by calling you son and calling you daughter. That is what Jesus wants to do. And so there are some of us here today who probably feel like this woman. I mean, honestly, I felt like this woman this week where it was like, God, I just, you said no, and I said, I'm going for it. How can I show, how can I feel your love when all I feel is guilt? And God, you probably don't even want to be with me right now because honestly, God, I don't want to be with myself. And God is not like that. We, we might be thinking, God, you're too busy worrying about those important people to really care about little old me. Or maybe it's, I'm, I'm already too far gone. I've been living in this lifestyle for so long, God, he already cut me off from it. There's no coming back to that. Or maybe it's even, you know, if people knew what my sin really was, they would be like, why are you even here today? Why are you coming into this building and making all of us unclean? We're all unclean. We need people to realize that they can come to Jesus because he is the one that brings ultimate healing. And this woman realized that. And even out of a last ditch effort, you know, it's not like Jesus was like, man, you tried everything else and now you're coming to me? Should have come to me first. We're done. He took her superstition. He took her trying everything else. And he took her desperation to find healing in only Jesus. And he welcomed her in nonetheless. He said, welcome to finally realizing the true source of healing. Come, be a part of my family. Be my daughter. And so what this story shows us is that Jesus desires to make time to be with you. Individually, be with you. The creator of the world wants to be with you. The God who, Jesus, as he was walking on this earth, had thousands of followers. He's got billions of people praying to him every single day. And he says, but I want to be with you and you and you. I want to be with my people. Revelation chapter 21 says the dwelling place of God will be with his people. But right now that dwelling place is in us that God says, I want to come into your heart. I want to give you my spirit and I want to live inside of you. You know, it's been said that whenever we get to heaven, we're going to look at like Adam and Peter and we're going to be like, man, you guys were so lucky. You got to walk with Jesus. And instead they're going to look back at us and they're going to be like, no, you guys had Jesus living in your heart. You spent every single moment with Jesus because he desired so much to be in your presence. You see, Jesus could have healed this woman and just kept on walking. But instead he said, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop. And I'm going to publicly let everybody know where she now stands. Because I don't know if there were people in that crowd who started recognizing her and being like, wait a minute, she, she's unclean. Jesus, you're now unclean. But instead, the minute she touches Jesus, she becomes clean. And then Jesus reinstates her. And he says, listen up, everybody. This is my daughter. She's no longer unclean. Because I have made her clean. 
He wants to publicly reinstate her into his family. He wants her to know what she is worth. You know, Mark 2.17 tells us, those who are well have no need for a physician. It is those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to be with the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. He always gave grace and mercy to those who needed it. I, I love the story in John chapter 8 as the woman caught in the middle of adultery gets brought before Jesus as they're trying to trap Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you talk about love, but the law talks about truth. Which one should we do? Because if it's all about grace, are we not going to live according to the law and we're not going to stone this woman? Or if it's all about truth, God, we get to stone her. So which one is it? And again, as you know the story, Jesus bends down, starts writing in the ground, and then one by one, they start walking away. Because Jesus is the only one who is truly able to condemn the woman. But he doesn't. Instead, he looks at the woman and he says, Woman, where are they that condemn you? And she looks around and she says, No, there's no one, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He had all authority and all the right to pick up a stone and just end her life right there. He's the only one that was able to do that. And yet he said, nope, you are my child. You have been welcomed into the family. I love you. I want a relationship with you. So whatever it is that you think discredits you, even if you're like, I'm a believer, there are going to come those times where we start thinking, yeah, but what I did last week, I need to earn God's favor again. And really, I'm discredited. It's like I just got knocked down a couple levels. And so I got to work my way back into God's favor. Whatever it is you think discredits you from coming to Jesus, it is a lie. That is not the truth of God. But instead, 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on that cross with his arms open wide so that every single person could come and find healing in Jesus. That is what Jesus did. He gave his life on the cross so that we could be set free. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, He, being Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but in, continued entrusting himself to him who judges, judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By what Jesus did on that cross, you can find healing. Healing over addiction, healing over whatever it is, pride, anger, lust, anything. Jesus died to bring us healing. This is what he gave his life for. Jesus did this because God, John 3, 16, so loved the world that he gave his life. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What do I have to do to be saved? Nothing. Jesus did it all. 
you receive the gift that he is freely giving to you. Jesus turning around and searching for the woman is the same thing that Jesus is doing every single day for his people. Jesus is turning around and searching for you because he wants to give you healing. We're told about the parable that Jesus was talking about, the son who wanted all of his father's, or wanted his part of his father's inheritance, pretty much telling his father, you're dead to me. Just go ahead and die. Give me what I want. I don't want you. I want your stuff. And so then his father gives it to him. The son goes off to Vegas, starts spinning it, partying it up, living the good life. And then he is in the slums and he realizes, man, my father's servants eat better than I do right now as I am eating what the pigs eat. And so he starts rehearsing this in his mind and he's like, Father, I'm going to come back to you. And Father, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and just reinstate me as a servant in your house. I don't even need to be your son again. Just let me work for you. And so he's, he's walking the long journey and he's quoting that in his mind. He's like, Father, just forgive me. Let me just be a servant in your house. And then what we are told is while he was a long way off, his father sees him. And his dad's not just kick back reclining like, hey, you come all the way to me. You work your way to me. But instead, we're told that the dad runs to his son. Men in that time did not run. But his father says, I don't care how goofy it looks. I don't care. This is my son and he is coming home. And so I'm going to run and meet him. And then the son's like, father, I've sinned against you. And the dad's like, hold up. Like get the best cow, get the best robe, get my ring, put it on him. My son was lost and now he's come home. I am happy to have my son come home. Parables before that, the parable of the 99 sheep who stayed and the one who left, we are told that there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one who returns than the 99 who stayed. And so if you're thinking, man, like God doesn't want me to come to him, you are completely wrong. Because Jesus tells us there is more rejoicing in heaven when one lost soul comes to Christ than when 99 who think, hey, we stayed here the whole time, than when they do stay. God desires for his people, for his creation to come and be in relationship with him. Dick Vermeil wanted to spend time with John, McCar- John Maxwell. The creator of the universe wants to spend time with you. Not only does he want to spend 10 minutes, he wants to spend the rest of your life with you, showing you what true love is, showing you how to live a life that glorifies him. That God desires to be with you. And he stopped at absolutely nothing. James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's that, it's that matter of fact. God, I want more of your presence. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God, I want to feel your love. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But don't even think that it's like, man, he's so far away that I'm going to have to run all this way to him. No, he is running to you. He left heaven, came down to earth to be 
without sin so that he could pay the perfect price so that we don't have to go running to heaven to be with him. But instead he said, nope, I'm going to come down and I'm going to be with you because he loves you. I hope that you are hearing how much you are loved. I hope that if you came in here like, man, I just got to put on this persona again. I just got to act like everything is fine because if people really know, I'm not going to have anybody that loves me. God knows and he loves you. Not in, not, not how you are. He loves you despite who you are. He loves you with your sin, but he loves you too much to leave you in your sin. He said, no, what I want to do is I want to take you from that life of death and I want to give you a new life, a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of peace. I want to give you a life with purpose because you're going to realize when you come into the family of God, you have a purpose and that is to glorify God in everything that you do because he is worthy. And so the question is, are you willing to step out in faith and follow God? Are you willing to step out and draw near to God? Because he is waiting for you. He is ready to be in relationship with you, regardless of what your past holds. Well, I used to be a homosexual. He doesn't care. I mean, he cares. He gave his life because he cares that much. But he says, I can bring you out of that and give you a life with meaning. Well, I used to get drunk. Actually, I was drunk last night. Come to Jesus and he will say, I want to make you well. I want to give you healing, not a temporary band-aid. I want to give you a new life, whatever it is. Whatever excuse you're wanting to make in your head, well, God wouldn't let me come because of that. It's not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Instead, what God says is, I'm going to stop at nothing so that you can freely come to me. Kurt's going to lead us in a song, and it's called Pass Me Not. And it says, pass me, pass me not, O gentle Savior. The truth is, he's not going to pass you. He is instead calling you to come into relationship with him. But I want to issue this challenge real quick. Because notice that when the woman touched the hem, she was healed. But then Jesus said, okay, what I want to do is I want to let everybody around here know that she's healed. And so I totally believe that you can sit there in your pew and you can pray to God for healing and he heals you. But I also believe that what God wants to do is to let it be known, which is scary. But he wants to let it be known that you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And so I would encourage you, come forward and share the testimony of what God is doing in your life. Christian for 20 years and still like, hold up, I've been living it fake. Come forward and share that so that we as a body can grow with you in this walk so that we can just see what Christ is doing in your life because it's a great testimony when people say it is so scary to go I'm going to sit here in my pew but no I want to share what Christ is doing in my life and so if you have a testimony of what Christ is doing or if you want to give your life over to Christ Kurt's going to lead us in this song pass me not and just know he's not 
He will not pass you by. He's looking for you. He's working in your heart. But what he wants is for you to repent, to turn back to him, to draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Father God, thank you for the story of this woman who we see, even though she was unclean, even though she for 12 years was an outcast, God, when she came, you welcomed her into your family. God, may that truth resonate in our hearts. God, we say that we know that you love us, but God, even reveal that to us more. Let us know the love that surpasses knowledge. God, let us grow in that. And if there's anybody here who is giving that excuse of whatever the reason is that they can't come to you, God, break down that wall. Give them the courage to just step out in faith and say, God, I need your healing. And God, for those of us who, who have been walking with you, who have given our lives over to you, let us not become like the religious elites who think we are too good to share your love with non-believers. Because you came to seek and save the lost, and that is what we are called to do as well. So God, you're working in the hearts of your people and we, we just entrust it all up to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.